You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Strengthened by Grace, recorded on February the 14th, 2016. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, I'm going to give you the best announcement ever in the history of the earth. I'd like to say it's a new one, but rather I wouldn't. Once you've had the best, why try to improve it? So here it is. It comes from John 1.14. The best announcement in the history of the world. John 1.14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the best news in the history of the world. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. The glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace, full of truth. The eternal Word. Word is used here to represent the Son of God. Who has forever been. He's eternal. He has forever been. He is the creator of all things. And he entered creation. Or as C.S. Lewis put it, it's like the author of the play comes onto the stage. But it's bigger than that. He comes right into the story. Jesus The man who came from Nazareth, born of the Virgin Mary. He is God. He has, this text says, shown us the glory of heaven. So he has seen God. For he is God. We have one God who exists eternally in three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus has forever seen the glory of his Father And he came down as a man and demonstrated it to the world. Through his words, the words of heaven, people would hear him and say, I have never heard anyone speak like this man. Even his enemies would would come back. There was one group of people reporting to his, his, his powerful enemies, the Pharisees, and they said, well, what did you find out? And they said, we've never heard anyone speak like him. And they're like, why do we send you people? Is he convincing you? The words from heaven came out of this man's mouth. His works, what he was able to do, and most of all through his resurrection from the dead. Not his resuscitation from temporary stopping of the heartbeat or the movement of the lungs, but the raising from the dead of a perishable body that can decay to an imperishable, perfect body that cannot. He is, according to this text, full of grace, full of truth. To have a little grace is a wonderful thing. Jesus overflows with grace. He overflows with truth. This is the best news It is the announcement that the Christ has come. The Christ, which means, uh, is a Greek for the anointed one or the Messiah, the Holy One, the Savior of the world. But where he came from is what matters. You say, we came from Mary. He did, but he came before her from heaven itself. Our text, Hebrews 13, 8 to 16, in our penultimate sermon, that means next to last, on Hebrews, points our eyes first to the Savior Jesus. And we want to just camp on Jesus for a little bit. We just want to look at Him. For He is the very pattern of our lives. He is the one we're to copy. So Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Hopefully your Bible is open by now. One more time. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 to 16. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Let's not go too quickly through verse 8. In fact, let's read verse 8, stop, and then go on to 9 through 16. Verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's not the description of a man alone. It is the description of God himself. No human on this planet can, can it be said you are the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. Yesterday you didn't exist. I mean, before you were conceived, you weren't. 
And today, you are whatever you are, but it isn't even what you used to be, and it's certainly not what you're going to become. Jesus is the Messiah, but in ages past, He has always been God. This is our proclamation to the world because it's God's proclamation to us. And it doesn't matter if if the whole world laughs or thinks it's nuts. It is the truth. God became one of us. And his name is Jesus from Nazareth. John 1, 1 to 3 says this, In the beginning was the Word. This is an undeniable declaration that Jesus is God. Oh, there are some who, there's so many people who don't know the Bible who are happy to tell you what the Bible says. If anyone says, I've read the Bible before and know it's not true, I almost guarantee you, in 999 out of a thousand times, if not a thousand, they haven't read the Bible. They've opened it. They've looked at a word or two. And there's people who say, well, there's nowhere. I have heard people intelligently say that the Bible doesn't declare Jesus to be divine. That's a myth that came up hundreds of years after he was born. And yet John 1.1, written by an eyewitness, begins with the words, In the beginning was the Word. He's a Jew talking to Jews first and then the rest of us. The Jews know their Bible starts back in Genesis 1.1 with the words... In the beginning, they're not missing the symbolism. Was the Word. The Word is representative of God, of Jesus Christ. Why the word Word? Because a word is the expression of a thing. Well, what is Jesus the expression of but God Himself? A few verses later, it says, No man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son who is at His bosom, He has revealed Him. He has expressed Him. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, in case you're missing this. And the Word was God. Can it be said any more plainly? He was in the beginning with God. So He has always been But there's a time we could call in the beginning, at least for us, created things. And then it says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that has been made. The the claim of God throughout history is that he is the one who made everything. That's the proof you're in charge. If you made everything, it's yours. And Jesus Christ made everything. Some wonder, where do we get the Trinity? Where do we get the idea that one God, three persons? Well, here's one of the ways we get it. The Bible is monotheistic. It means one God. From beginning to end, there's only one God. It's declared openly. There's only one God. But He's revealed, not in three ways, but in three different persons. Three persons who have feelings, thoughts, and actions. And here we have God the Father, God the Son, only God can create, and Jesus created everything. So he must be God. That's how we get the Trinity. You have three persons behaving as God. He has never changed. God, you, why does God not change? Because you can't improve on God. Therefore, any change would be a deficiency. We change, you change. I change. Our skin becomes less elastic. Our hair can fall out. We can bruise or scar and things can never go back to the way they were. Well, God is never going to change because He's perfect. And that Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God forever then, added to Himself a body. That God became a speck in the universe. Just a tiny speck. He didn't change into that. He remains God forever in his divine nature. But he added on something. Why would he do that? Why would he lower himself? Answer, to glorify his Father. That means to show how great God is. How does it show how great God is that he becomes so small? Well, it shows the greatness of his love for wicked creatures like us. His own creation he will redeem. 
He went to the lowest place as a man, though he is in the highest place as God, so God could raise him to the highest place as man and with him bring us up with him. Mankind, the result of Jesus' coming to earth is mankind shares his glory. That's why it's the best news in the world to say the word became flesh and dwelt among us. People say, you Christians are so down on humans. You say everyone's a sinner. Well, I think everyone's good. Well, if you think everyone's good, I don't know if you read history books or the news or even live at home. Have you, if everyone's so good, why is it so hard for everyone to get along? But if you think our view of mankind is low, you're mistaken. We go so farther than any humanistic evolutionary imagination can ever go. We say that God came down to us and he takes up mankind to glory. Paul, well, let's fill in a blank here. This is the great mystery of the incarnation. Incarnation means in meat. Carnation sounds like a flower. This is not about a flower. Carne in Spanish, or if you go back to um, the original languages, meat means meat. Incarnation, God in meat. (laughs) Jesus, who is forever God, at a point in time took on flesh. He did this without ceasing to be God. He didn't change into a man. He took on a man. He lived among us. He was killed, he was buried, he was raised, and he ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God in glory. And that word right hand and sit is figurative language. You do not have to envision Jesus constantly just sitting there. It means he rules. Did he not always rule as God? Yes, but now here's the difference. He also rules as a glorified man. This man who is Jesus has always been God. Listen to how Paul explains this. Look carefully at this text I want to show you and see how Paul explains this very clearly. Philippians 2, 5 to 11. From the book that some claim never claims the deity of Christ. I've read the Bible before. Sure you have. Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Have this mind among yourselves. Oh boy, there's a sermon in that phrase that we're not going to get today. Boy, that's good. Take Jesus' brain, put it in your brain. That's, that's the command every day. But anyway, let's move on. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, was. He existed. How? As in the form of God. You cannot be in the form of God unless you are God. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. Though he was in the form of God, was forever, is a forever word backwards. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. This is talking about status. I can lower myself. There's a lot of humans who want to get to a point where you don't have to lower yourself. You're not asking me to clean that toilet, are you? You're not saying I have to clean up that, are you? You're not saying I have to serve him, are you? I am up here. But God, who is in the highest place, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. To be a human is a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. and Being found in human form. He humbled himself. Well, when we say humbled himself, that's the purposeful, volitional lowering of yourself. Someone can humble you, that's a different thing. But when you humble yourself, you're lowering yourself. Well, no one's lowered themselves as high as from God to this. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to who? God the Father. Well, he was always obedient. There's always been obedience in the Godhead, but even more to God's rulership through evil human authorities, including Pontius Pilate. He put himself under Pontius Pilate. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, because he did this, because he lowered himself, God has highly exalted the man Christ Jesus. Because the, the divine nature of Christ has never been lowered. But he took the man. And he exalted him. He lifted him up. He humbled himself. God lifted him up. That's to be the pattern that we're to copy, by the way, but that's another sermon. 
and He bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. This is election season. Everyone wants their name exalted. Trump! Oh, what a great man he is. You may laugh now, for he is a little, teeny, tiny, little scurvy of a man. Hillary! Pick your name. They are just mere humans. They are not great. Even the good ones aren't great ones. There's only one name that's above every name. The name Christ Jesus. And God says He's above it all. It's funny because this earth does not respect Jesus. If all the people running for president on both sides would start to say the name Jesus every time they got up there, they would lower their names. People wouldn't listen to them. But God put it above them all. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's only one great man on the earth. His name is Jesus. There's only one great man. The rest of us are borrowers. By the way, when you do pick your leader, realizing that none of their names are worthy of exalting, try to find the one that seems the most like he understands that. Or she. And you vote for whoever the heck you want. I put no faith in man. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the King! He existed as God. He submitted to God and became a man. And then as a man, He took the grave. As a, he didn't just take our life and walk among us. He took our death. Because the experience of being a man, by man I mean man, woman, boy, or girl, includes rot, includes death, includes the separation of spirit and body. He embraced that too. But ah, uh, that's where the magic came. Because death cannot hold the sinless one. The grave is too weak to hold the Spirit of God. And so when he went there, he broke the power of death so you don't have to die. And that's, Jesus said, any who lives and believes in me shall never die. Shall never die. Why did he die? To atone for our sins. He was the payment. The great God who could have ignored us, could have squished us by every right, could have punished every one of us for all of our sins and been done with us and said good riddance from heaven. Instead, He sent His Son who was perfect and said, I will pay. And Jesus paid with His blood. He atoned. But once the payment was made, once the sins had been taken care of, there is no longer any barrier for you and me to be forgiven and therefore to have eternal life. He was raised on the third day. For 40 days, he visited his friends, over 500 people. And then he ascended to heaven, where God has highly exalted him. Not you. You didn't exalt him. Not me. I didn't exalt him. Not the Jews. They didn't exalt him. Not the churches. None of us placed him in heaven. God did. And God is Lord of all. So Jesus is Lord of all. And in the end of all things, it's the only name that matters. Jesus Christ, verse 8 says, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And those Hebrews needed to hear that 
because they were under persecution as believers, first from their own people, other Jews, who are saying, it wouldn't it be easier to just forget the Messiah business and get back to what we were doing? And then second, to the Romans, who were increasingly becoming enemies of the cross. They needed to hear, look, what the temporary opposition that comes to you because of your allegiance to Jesus Christ is something you're going to have to endure because in reality, Jesus is your Lord. They needed to hear that. You need to hear that. We do not live in simple times. This ain't little house on the prairie. You need to know that. So you never buckle and you never doubt. You have a God who's above all. When all is said and done, everything's going to be okay. Jesus is going to bring his eternal kingdom. Now, is the kingdom of God already here? Well, Every one of you who calls Jesus Lord is a citizen of the kingdom of God. So let's say we're God's illegal aliens. Come from that kingdom we've never been to, but is really our home. And we're invading the nations of men. But we're not worried about them assimilating us into their culture. We're on a recruiting mission. We're here to undermine the kings of this world and Satan who rules them. We are the revolutionary force. We are the light brigade. Right? We're the illegal aliens. Illegal to this world. Illegal to Satan and his powers. Illegal. We go against the grain so that we can gain more people for the citizen for citizenship in heaven, so Jesus' glory is only expanded because there's another one who has received him by faith, gotten forgiveness of sins, and beaten the grave. We want everybody to know our Savior. And one day he will come, and then we will shine like the sun with him. And all who we have led will shine with us, and there will be no more evil. As God, he is God he has never changed. Our Bible ends this way. Behold, Jesus, Jesus says, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. The first and the last, the beginning, the end. I was there when I created everything. I'll be there when I recreate everything. Blessed are those who wash their robes. And that is in his blood, figuratively. Don't go get a robe and dip it in blood. That's weird. But those who believe in Christ have had their filth washed away. Blessed are you. So that they may have the right to the tree of life. That they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters. And everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright and morning star. So here he is, the, the beginning and the end, and he says, I'm the root of David. David is a man. How could he be before David since he's David's great-grandson? Jesus is Lord. He is God. He is your Lord. He will never change. With that in mind, we move on in our text to verse 9. Now, if he is Lord, then whatever he says in his word to us, how should we respond? Except to say, tell me. Yes, Lord, I am listening. 9, verse 9. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. And, and that sentence, just hold on to that second half of that sentence. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. That's in contrast to being led away by strange teaching. It is better to be strengthened by grace. Strengthened by grace. Grace is a gift. It's a free gift. Like, like, like strengthening. 
You see these young men and they go to the gym and they lift weights and they pump up those guns. And it's good. It's good for young men to get strong and healthy and all that business. But they got to work at it. And if you ever want to send them back to the gym, say, you look a little smaller to me today. It'll get them. It will. If you ever find someone who goes to the gym a lot, it's so easy to buy shirts for them. Right? Because <laughs> if, if they're too big, they're flattered. If they're too small, they wear it. Um, <laughs> but they got to work. That's not strengthened by grace. That's strengthened by work. Strengthened by grace, you'd go to the gym and, some, and, and just a blessing from God goes boom, and you go boom. All right. <laughs> and, and our text is saying it's better to be strengthened by grace as a free gift. We're to live by faith, not by works. The same faith that saved us. Not by foods. We'll get to that in a second, which have not benefited those devoted to them. New and strange teachings are always arising to challenge God's people. They arose in the first century, second century, third century. They arise in the 21st century. New and strange teachings will always come. Diverse and strange. It's the text. Now, these were attaching to food for the Jews. Jews were into food. There's all those laws, right? Let's fill in a blank. Eating was seen as a very spiritual act to Jews who had their many sacrifices and dietary laws and festivals. Certain days you could only eat unleavened bread. You couldn't put dairy with beef or something and you couldn't eat lobster and shrimp. But now that Jesus had come, they were not to find spiritual strength through what they ate but through grace. You're no longer to think you're spiritually right with God because you put the right thing in your mouth on the right day. You see, instead, let grace strengthen you. Now, grace is a very simple idea. Let's not complicate it. We are not saved by our religious efforts. Going to church or whatever you would define as religious efforts. You're not saved through dietary rituals. You're not saved through good behavior. For the righteousness of man is unrighteousness before God. But you are saved as a free gift, the choice of God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who died for our sins. And the Jews, the Jews were wondering, are we bound by our diets? Now that we're believers in Christ, can we just go out and have a ham sandwich? Are we bound by our diets? No, says the Bible. No, you're not bound by your diets. Have the ham sandwich. Can we eat animals sold in the market by pagans who have blessed it to their false gods? Yes, that's God's meat. You can eat it, no matter what those yo-yos did with it. For us, food is normally not the religious issue, is it? It's not, not in our culture. Food is normally a free-for-all. I mean, we have game dinners in our churches, and we eat all kinds of wacky stuff. No one says, don't eat that, it's not religious. <laughs> they just put anything in their mouth. One guy uh, made meatballs or something. He said, out of a gopher, a groundhog. Now, he didn't. He was kidding. It was hamburger or something. But here's the weird part. People ate it to the bottom. Anyway, <laughs> he told you it was groundhog and you ate it. <laughs> we don't have food as an issue generally. Jesus has not changed. And for our day and age, how should we receive this teaching? If Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, just to keep this clear, all right, so that, so that you have a standard in your head for what a strange teaching is. The Old Testament, or the Jewish Bible, Jesus confirmed as 100% true. He said, not a jot or tittle will pass away. Not a dotted I or a cross T. None of this will go. So he said, all that is perfect. Okay, we got the Old Testament. What about the New? That's the testimony of his apostles. It says right in Acts that the people have devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Anything that's not coming from them is diverse and strange. All right? Think Mormonism, where they have three extra Bibles. They have the Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Price, and 
Another one I forgot. Why did they need new ones? Because they needed something diverse and strange. Islam, diverse and strange. They say they believe the New Testament's true, but we got a new book. We don't need a new book. Jehovah Witnesses. We got our book. We'll rephrase it a little bit. The Bible, we'll retranslate it so Jesus doesn't look so much like God. And then we'll come out with an awake magazine and have people in awake land who can change the truth. Diverse and strange. We are devoted to the apostles' teachings. What the apostles did is they said the Old Testament's true and here's what it means. And that's in the New Testament. That's our Bible. And that's it. Look, Christians make this error. I I threw out a few easy, low-hanging fruit. I don't think any of you wants to run out and become a Mormon or a Muslim. But... Let's take Roman Christian Christianity. What's the error of Roman Catholicism? They have the truth. They have the same truth of Christianity as the Christians throughout the ages. What's the error? The error is they've also allowed popes to determine and add to it. That's it. To this day, the pope can speak ex cathedra and give you new revelation from God. Strange and diverse teaching. You say, oh, those Catholics. Okay, let's go to the Protestants. Got to go to church on a certain morning. Got to sing certain songs. Dress a certain way. Can't touch alcohol. And if you don't do all the things we say, you're not holy. And there's all kinds of varieties on Protestantism. Strange and diverse teachings. You have to sing certain songs a certain way with certain instruments. I mean, there's good, godly people who believe you're not allowed to use any instruments in the church. Or if you do, just the organ. Because because that's strange. You know, why organs? I don't know why God, an angel, brought a first organ and that was it. Thank God it wasn't a bagpipe and a harmonica. Things would be... (laughs) Strange and diverse. And you're wicked if you don't do this. Or the, you can get crazy in the other area. I had a prophecy, and I'm seeing new things that you didn't see. I got a new word from the Lord. If you want to be led by the Lord, you got to have, follow this prophet, what a man of God he is. And I'm talking about people who are Christians. Strange and diverse teachings. God has never changed. The revelation of Jesus Christ through his apostles, you're not going to get better. Just stick with that. Through all generations, there is a need in every Christian generation, in every life, to constantly return to the nourishment, the grace you have been forgiven by Jesus Christ. You need that to return to that every day. Salvation is free, bought by Jesus on a cross, freely given to everyone who believes. And it is good for the heart to be strengthened by that. And then our text gives us a picture of this grace. Look at verse 10 and 11. It says, we have an altar. This can get a little complicated, so I'm going to say it as briefly as I can, but I had to go over it many, many times so I can make it simple in my own brain. So it's okay if when I'm done you go, what did he say? <laughs> but here's a picture of grace. He says, we have an altar. That, that phrase, we have an altar, he means we Christians, we who believe in Jesus have an altar. This is figurative language. We don't have an altar. Right? An altar is a place where you go to put a sacrifice down so you can worship God. We have an altar, which those who serve the tent, that would be the tabernacle of the Jews in the old days, the temple later. So those who serve would be priests. So the priests, you see the priests bringing their stuff to the to Ark of the Covenant and the altar and putting the stuff up there and doing it all holy. We have an altar. It's not that altar, he's saying from which those who do serve at that altar have no right to eat. You say, why does eating come in? Because, see, the Jewish priests, they didn't work. The way they got their work is they served, and the people had to share with them. And one of the ways they got food was they were allowed to eat what you brought them to sacrifice in portions. Right? It's pretty good. If you're a vegetarian, it would stink. (laughs) But if you're not, man, you're going to love it. It's a meat-eating diet. But they, we have an altar that they're not allowed to eat the meat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought 
into the holy place by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin or burned outside the camp. What's he saying? He's referring here to the Jewish Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. You see, as the priests are allowed throughout the year to take the sacrifices and eat of them, and some like the Passover, everyone's commanded to eat of that. Right? We think of Jesus, we think of Passover, that's where our Lord's Supper ritual comes from. But there's one they're not allowed to eat, the atonement for sins. Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement. They're supposed to kill some like an ox or something, I don't remember, a big old beast, and they're to drag most of it outside the camp and burn it. Don't eat it. That's what he's talking about. So he's saying, outside the camp, what's burning out there, it's off limits to the priests. Who wants to eat that? Anyway, the good stuff's back there when you eat a nice lamb chop and whatnot. And he says, that's our altar. That's what he's saying. Like I said, if this gets a little, like, wait a minute, these are new. If these are old ideas to you, you're picking it up. But if they're new, I understand you've got to keep looking at it. But he's saying our altar's outside the camp. He's foreshadowing the, the act of sacrificing that animal and then taking it outside the camp to burn was a foreshadowing of Christ. Why? <laughs> Verse 12, he says it right here. For Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Here's the picture of the atonement. Now, he was crucified on Passover, so that's a rich picture we're to take. We eat the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You eat the Lamb, and death does not come to you. But here's another picture. He also fulfills Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. He's taken outside. Jesus fulfilled this. Look at what it says in John 19. So, he delivered him over. That's Pontius Pilate delivered Jesus over to be crucified. They took Jesus, and they went out, Bearing his own cross to the place they call the place of the skull. When I was over in Israel, we went to a place where they think the place of the skull is. And you know what? It's nowhere near the temple, where the temple was. Why? Because they took it out and away from the place and the altar. And actually, they say it was a garbage heap. (laughs) Where you take the prisoners and kill them. There they crucified him. He was... So he fulfilled Yom Kippur. He fulfilled the Day of Atonement. He was taken outside the camp. The priest said, don't eat that. Don't, don't go for that. Don't believe in that. But what God was doing is revealed in 2 Corinthians 5.21 where it says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him by Jesus being taken outside of the city and put on a cross where he was destroyed Rejected by the priests and destroyed outside the gates, he had become our sin and died so that we could take on the righteous. What a great exchange. What a great exchange. So he was dragged out of town for the sins of the world. And here's, here's the grace picture, he says. Here's the grace picture he gives by, they'd all understand all this stuff because they're Jews and they're used to this. For us, we got to kind of learn it. But here's the grace picture. He's saying our altar is not where the priests are, where you've got to do everything by all those rules. Our altar is out where they reject, where there's no rules. Now, we ain't talking outback, no rules just right. We're talking about all the law has been fulfilled in Christ. So now we're freely righteous. I ain't got to do nothing. It's free. It's a gift. It's poured out on you. I don't have to do anything. No. Do I have to keep the law? No, because the law is going to be put inside your heart. And that righteousness is going to start coming from you, from inside you. You're just made righteous. Some of you might think that's too good to be true. That's Christianity, folks. No matter what twisted form your denomination or non-denominational church made it, it doesn't matter. That's what it is. The picture is we're not saved by law-keeping. We're saved by grace. And, And look how it goes on in the text. He says, therefore... Let us go outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Therefore, you Hebrew believers, quit worrying about them telling you you're not being a good enough Jew. Get out of the, of the city. Go out to the garbage heap. <laughs> go dance on the garbage dump with Jesus. That's what he's saying. And he says, and bear the reproach he endured. You're not moving up the social scale when you dance in the trash. For Jesus. That's why in our world you will not move up the social scale by telling everyone they need to be saved. 
For here, we have no lasting city. We reject this world. This doesn't last anyway. But we seek the city that is to come. Now the text we kind of dealt with a couple weeks ago. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. We're going to offer sacrifice through our lips that acknowledge his name and do not neglect to do good and share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So here we are dancing out. It's us. We're in the shame. Dancing with Jesus. And it is a shame, make no mistake, to tell the world that their best righteousness is pictured in a beaten, broken, innocent, naked, misused man hanging on a tree is shameful to them. And we're out there going, this is where we want to be. Three simple applications. One, share his reproach through loyalty and love for him. Share it. Don't deny it. Jews saw Jesus as shameful. You mean the, your so-called prophet who died on a tree like a criminal? Yeah. We rush out and stand there. He is, Jesus is viewed as garbage by the world. And you may say, no, that isn't true. They're not that harsh. Well, if you reshape Jesus, make him tender, Jesus meek and mild, who gets along with everybody and is kind of friends with Muhammad up in heaven and Buddha, Yeah, you're right. They won't hate that one, but that's not him. The one who's him, they look at as garbage. In his shame, though, it's my salvation. He doesn't go through that, I don't get heaven. So am I going to be ashamed of his shame or you? Are you going to be ashamed to be called by the name Christ? In your university, in your school, by your unbelieving family, at your job? Are you really going to be ashamed? Mark 8.38, Jesus said, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he says, so in Matthew 10, 32, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, there's a positive side to this, I will also acknowledge before my fathers in heaven. It is to our pride to be hated for Christ's sake. It is to our pride in the good sense of the word. It is to our joy. It is good. In Matthew, Jesus said, blessed are you when people say all manner of evil against you falsely. They're lying about you because of my namesake. For so they treated the prophets and great is your reward in heaven. What's this mean? Fly your Jesus freak flag and fly it high. And and Christians, stop being afraid to say the J word. Stop. Christians will get afraid to say the J word. I hear it all the time in your voices. You're about to say it. You're about to tell the world. And that's when God came into my heart. Why not say the J word? Because God can mean anything. The person just heard something. You say Jesus, you just put yourself in the shame belt. That's why you ain't saying it. So start saying it. Get out there in that garbage dump where you belong with the Savior and say the J word. Quit telling me you're praying in your son's name. Let's say his name. Quit praying in your name, O Lord. Who the heck is that? I'm praying in Jesus' name. Jesus, the J word. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Yesu, Yeshua, the Christ. On the garbage dump with me. Where I belong. He came to the garbage dump to get me anyway. Then God came into my life. Well, what's his name? Well, his name's Jesus. Let's start saying that. I know your tongue will get a little sticky. Why? Because you're in a spiritual battle and your flesh itself is fighting you. Your old nature doesn't want people to look down on them. Time to say your old nature, shut up. When I was in the garbage dump, he came and got me. Say the J word. Because as shameful as it is to the world to be one of those wacky Christians, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation. That name, that man who died on that cross can save a human soul. 
power. More power than anyone has on the planet. In the name of Jesus. The name of Je- the power that created the world is in that name. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. So I say to everyone, Jesus, ha ha ha, you think that's funny? Guess what? He died for you. And some will hear. Two, employ our tongues to speak of the great things of the Savior. I'm not going to go too much into this because we actually, I stole this verse when we were going through two weeks ago in our sermon. Let me just add this. Our tongues are at their best when they're speaking or singing the praises of our God. Describing his many good deeds, his great love, and all that we know him. You know, it wasn't long ago I was preaching on complaining. Boy, you want to convict yourself, preacher, just preach on complaining. For two weeks, I've been just catching myself going, "Ah!" And sometimes I'm shocked at the same tongue that curses man is in my mouth. What better use of my tongue than to tell of the great things of God? In any situation, any situation. I was at the grocery store yesterday and I was buying marshmallows. And this lady says, those are big marshmallows because they were the big ones, right? Those really huge ones. Which is the size marshmallows should have always been <laughs> my life as a kid. Those little ones went too fast. Big as your head. Here's my chance. I'm going to let my freak flag fly. You know why I'm getting these marshmallows? I don't have to tell her. She don't necessarily want to talk to me. She's making a conversation. No, why are you getting those marshmallows? Because my wife teaches Sunday school. Now she's got to react to that. <laughs> and tomorrow's lesson is David and Goliath, and my wife wants these marshmallows. She's going to bring a guy in there and be Goliath, and she's going to have the kids throw them at his head. Now, my tongue could have just said, yeah, they're big marshmallows, and gone on. But oh, better to speak of God. Verse 16, do not... Oh, three. Let's go to three. Sorry. Fill our days with acts of kindness and generosity to other human beings. That's, that's what you're supposed to fill your day with. If God is in you, you're supposed to be copying Him all the time. And that's what He does. So we're to be kind people. Not nice people. Nice people, I don't know. I don't need nice people. Nice people can lie to you and stab you in the back. It's political season. Everyone's going to be nice to you. They want your vote. I want kind people. Kind people who look and say, how can I not break this person? How can I help this person? Acts of kindness and generosity. It means it costs you. Verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices. These are sacrifices? Yes. This is worship? Yes. Doing a kindness is worship? Yes. Being generous is worship? Yes. They're pleasing sacrifices to God. Why? Listen, here's why. You're not working for your salvation. You receive that for free. The reason those are pleasing to God is because you're being like Him. And His goal for us as Christians is that we copy Him. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God. There's the order. Imitate God. How? As beloved children. Let us walk in love. That's how you imitate God. You think, well, I want to imitate the judgment part. I will throw you into hell. You don't get to imitate that part. It says alone. You imitate the love part. As Christ loved us. That's the part he wants us to imitate. Kindness and generosity is a way of life. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, Paul says. Different author, same idea. That's a beautiful offering to God. Kindness, love. You don't have to have a church ministry title. You don't have to even be recognized as a leader in the church to do this. And my friends, this is the job of every one of us as the church. And it's going to cost you your time and your treasure to be like God. Your time and your treasure. It's just gonna, and your emotions, and everything you got. Ephesians 4, 32, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, and forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. Is that enough? Want some more? Okay, here's one more. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father. 
Boy, he, apple don't fall far from the tree, does it? You want that to be said of you. When you show mercy to your enemies. Who is in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the good and evil. And sends the rain on the just and unjust. Worship Jesus by living a good life of good deeds and generosity. It's going to cost you your money and your time and your energy and your emotions and your personal space to be like Jesus. So do it. Do it. Because the Lord of all said, not because I said, there it is. What decisions do you have to make today? Do not be a hearer of the word and not a doer. Do not be the greatest kind of fool, the one who thinks himself a Christian, listens to sermons, and goes out the same way he came in. Because for you, there's a special curse. I don't believe there's a special place for women in hell who don't vote for Hillary Clinton, as the news said. Because I don't believe hell has anything that you could describe as special. I think hell's miserable. And I think the, the saddest part of those who go to hell are those who come and hear the word of God regularly and do not respond and lie to themselves, thinking that hearing has some advantage. Not all of you are Christians, even if you come every week. Do you need to truly repent and believe in Jesus? Or maybe you are a Christian. What decision do you need to make today? I can't get through this without... I can't get through this without saying i got to change. And it, it makes me happy. It makes me happy. Now sin, I'm sad when I have to repent of that. But this is pushing us further on. You already love, Mike. Love more! <laughs> Keep working on this, dude! That's what I hear God saying. I'm, he's cheering for me. But you've got to make a decision. It doesn't just happen to you. Change doesn't just happen. God wants our action and His power to work together. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.